I love the direction of this series on the Holy Spirit. We began two weeks ago on Pentecost Sunday. Now, I can't remember when I first learned about Pentecost, but until recent years, it really wasn't a part of my church experience. So just to remind ourselves, the church was born not on Christmas, not on the cross, or the resurrection of Easter Sunday. The church was born on Pentecost. Why? Because that's when the Spirit came. No Spirit, no church. On that first Pentecost, we're told a violent wind came down from heaven and, and stirred among the crowds. And, and then they looked out and they saw what, what appeared to be tongues of fire. That must have been pretty wild. And then we're told they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then Peter the same Peter who days earlier had denied even knowing Jesus, Peter preached a sermon and he invited people to confess their sins and to trust in Jesus. And we're told that 3,000 people were cut to the heart and committed their lives to Jesus that day. Overnight, the church became the most diverse community anyone had ever seen. Jew and Gentile, slave and free, rich and poor, male and female. Then people started selling their possessions so that orphans, widows, those who had nothing to their name, no one would go hungry, no one would be in need. How did that happen? What led to this radical transformation? The Holy Spirit came and everything changed and nothing would ever be the same again. So we've been talking as a church about what it means to be led by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. Now what we're looking at today is a slightly different angle on this. In his letter to the Ephesians, in which Paul is talking about life in the Spirit and walking in the Spirit, but in the middle of this letter, Paul says this kind of odd thing, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've heard that before. Maybe, you know, somebody has said to you, hey, you don't want to do that. You don't want to go down that path. That might grieve the Holy Spirit. And you're like, what? I don't have any idea what you're talking about. By the end of this message today, you will be able to respond with a sense of confidence. When somebody says, hey, don't do that. That might grieve the Spirit. You can say, actually, that's not really what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit. Here's what it means. And this is only going to take us an hour and a half. So it's going to be really good. Now, let's turn together to Ephesians chapter 4. There's a Bible there in front of you, and I would encourage you to open that up. It's going to be real helpful just to see how Paul develops this argument. And so I encourage you to have that open in front of you. As you're turning there, Ephesians 4, Ephesians is written basically in two halves. The first half, chapters 1, 2, and 3, this is the gospel. This is what Jesus has done to change everything. It is a gift. It's grace. You can't earn it. Then in chapters 4 through 6, you kind of get the, the therefore. In light of what Jesus has done for you, this is then how you are to live in this new reality. Here's how you live out this new life in Christ. In fact, if you look at Ephesians chapter 4 and you were to go with a pen and underline every time you see that word therefore, Ephesians 4 verse 1, therefore, then in verse 17, therefore. Then in verse 25, therefore. Paul kind of likes this word. He goes on, chapter 5, verse 1, therefore. Verse 7, therefore. Verse 15, therefore. Kind of get a sense of what Paul's doing here? In light of everything Jesus has done for you, therefore, here is how you are to then walk in that reality. 
So verse 25, this is where we'll begin. And as I read this, I want you to see if you can pick up on any patterns to the way that, that, that Paul is teaching here, how he structures his argument. Verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he might have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting, no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And now verse 30. This is what we're zeroing in on today. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what did you notice maybe about the structure of this text? Anybody catch on to a bit of a pattern here? Don't do this, but do that instead. Not this, but that. Here Paul lays out five sets of opposites. Not this, but that. I was trying to think about a modern take on this and um, what, where at least my mind went to was one of the more you know, famous memes out there if you're looking at Instagram or whatever on social media, and this might be a little bit dated, but you know, there's this kind of this thing that picked up with uh, Drake where it's like not this but that, and you can basically put anything that you don't like or can't stand on the top followed by something you love down below. Not this but that. I had pretty high confidence that was going to be somewhat helpful for some of you, but it's really fallen kind of on nowheresville for pretty much everybody in the Presbyterian church so far today. Some of you are like, what is a Drake? I don't understand what that is. So Paul goes through five of these and he sets it up. Don't do this, do that. Which, by the way, kind of echoes the way another teacher taught in a sermon he gave on the Mount. You have heard it was said, but I say to you. Now, at the heart of these five, not this but that's, there are two that are really foundational. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit and do not give the devil a foothold. Nowhere else in any of his letters does Paul speak in this way. These two commands which are really interconnected. In other words, when we give the devil, the accuser, the enemy a foothold, when we give him a launching pad for his work, it grieves the Holy Spirit. And when we grieve the Spirit, the devil is just ready to pounce and to take advantage of that moment to begin leading you toward temptation and away from the one who loves you. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit and do not give the enemy a foothold. Now, before we dive into this, I just one clarifying point as we study and explore the Holy Spirit. We cannot manufacture the Holy Spirit. We cannot manipulate the Spirit's power or predict and control and, and put him in a box. Jesus once said to a guy named Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. 
So there's a mystery to the spirit. It's like, it's like trying to control the wind. There are some churches that act like the Holy Spirit is a vending machine or a genie in the bottle. They can summon him upon command. No, we cannot force it. We can't force him because the Holy Spirit is not some disembodied force at our disposal. He is a, is a person. He's a he. But at the same time, nor has the Holy Spirit lost his power. And sometimes we get this impression and we read about the early church in, Acts, in the book of Acts and what happens in the New Testament and we think, man, that was amazing what once happened, but we don't see that anymore. And so it's like the Holy Spirit must have lost his mojo along the way, like he lost his power. And some of you may have grown up in church circles like that, where the winds of the Holy Spirit, it's like they haven't blown in a long time. In fact, we get a little nervous if we sense anything like the moving or the power of the Holy Spirit, we get suspicious. Philip Yancey once wrote about the Christian college he went to, how in the dorm room hallways, they posted instructions on what to do in case of emergencies, which they defined as fire, tornado, air raid, or charismatic activity of any kind. So we cannot manufacture the Holy Spirit, but nor should we just assume that the Holy Spirit has lost his power, lost his touch. Now, I'm sure some of you are still wondering, because it's such an odd phrase, what does it actually mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? At its most basic level, we grieve the Spirit when we choose knowingly and willfully to sin. That grieves, that saddens the one who, who dwells within us. But then why do you think Paul phrases it with this negative? Why does he go with the negative approach? Don't, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Why couldn't he have said instead, do what makes the Holy Spirit rejoice? Right? That would have been a little bit more friendly. Here's what pleases the Spirit. Instead, he goes negative. Why do you think Paul does that? And part of me wonders, just wonders if that word, that word of caution, it kind of, it's almost like it requires the negative to grab our attention. It's like it stops us. It makes us think. It makes us take an account. Like, wait a sec, the Holy Spirit can be grieved? The Spirit of God feels emotions like grief, sadness, heartache? And then it kind of causes me to wonder, is there anything in my life that might be grieving the Spirit of God. By the way, notice how Paul refers to the Holy Spirit. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. This is the only place in the New Testament where this full, official, formal title is used for the third person of the Trinity. In other places, Paul talks about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, but this is the only time when you get the, the full, official formal title. Often when I'm officiating a wedding or I'm going to be giving some opening prayer at a really you know, formal event, the people in charge of the event will call me in advance and ask me, how do I prefer to be introduced? And, and I tell them, uh, Brian. And you know, they ask, it, well, if we want it to be formal, I said, well, you, I guess Brian Dunnigan. Well, then we get to the moment of the, you know, where the MC comes out on the stage or the, it's usually the lead singer in the wedding band that's going to introduce me as I do the prayer and, and they, you know, say something to the effect of, and now 
the Reverend Dr. Brian Healy Dunnigan will come forward to give, to offer the invocation. It always makes me a little bit nervous when I hear that, like I don't want to blow it because they pulled out the big title. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. It's like Paul wants us to know in this moment, this is serious business right now. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So then why does the Holy Spirit grieve? Well, first of all, the Spirit grieves because the Spirit loves. Think about that. You don't grieve over someone you don't first love. You don't grieve over your enemies. That is until you love them. Your greatest grief is for your deepest of friends. It's for those you know most intimately. And the Holy Spirit grieves when he sees the one he loves more deeply than we could ever imagine. And when they do things that are self-destructive, hurtful, eating away at the beauty and their image-bearing of God, that saddens and pains the Spirit of God. The Spirit grieves because he knows that these behaviors and thought patterns that open a person to be ravaged by the enemy, and the Spirit looks on and he laments that we would open ourselves up to the destruction of what God in Jesus has done for us. The Spirit grieves because he loves. But then secondly, he also grieves, the Holy Spirit grieves because he does not want us to grieve. And he knows He knows better than we do that if we begin to walk down this path of willful disobedience, that we too will experience deep and profound grief. The Holy Spirit grieves because he loves and because he does not want us to grieve. And here's the thing. I wonder if sometimes as Christians, when we do something or we're stuck in a pattern of behavior that we just, we know, displeases God that we can almost get this sense of the Spirit leaving us or turning away from us. Now, we know that's not the case. He never leaves, but there's almost this sense that that we can have of someone with whom we are in the closest of relationships, and we we can tell when they're grieving. We can sense their sadness without the words. I don't know about you, but after 15 years of marriage, I can usually sense long before Allie ever has to say anything, I can begin to sense that Allie is, she's grieved by something I've done. It happened for us last night, and she didn't have to say anything for me to know, to sense just this little bit of grieving. And in a relationship, you know that's actually a gift. So too with the Holy Spirit. And just to be as clear as possible, his grieving doesn't mean he's leaving. Let me say that again. His grieving doesn't mean he's leaving. It doesn't mean he's out, he's bailing, the relationship's over. And here's why we know that. Because Paul makes the promise. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You were sealed. That's ownership language. You belong to God now. It's a done deal. And he is not going to go back on that promise. But some of us, maybe you know what it's like just to, to feel this grieving, this sense of this distance. It's the Holy Spirit grieving, and that is a gift. It's not a punishment. He grieves because he loves. You know, we began this series with the day of Pentecost when wind and fire came upon the community. And you think about those images, wind and fire. The Spirit comes in as this breeze that just sweeps the house clean. 
It's like when we have one of those, you know, cool late spring mornings before the summer comes in all of its vengeance like it's coming right now, but you get one of these cool mornings, these rogue cool mornings, and the first thing I do, I get up and I open all the windows in the house that aren't painted shut, and I just, I love how the breeze just brings in this fresh air and it just blows away all the smell of the nastiness of lacrosse pads and dirty socks and just everything in the orbit of three young children. The Spirit comes like an unexpected wind and just blows through the church and just refreshes us with His presence, His affection, His love, or the fire that purifies and stirs us with passion and wakes us up, and we know God is on the move here, wind and fire. You ever felt in your heart like the wind is dying down and the fire is kind of going out? It's like a season where there's no wind, no fire. People can experience that. Churches can experience that. It's like the wind has gone out of their sails. The fire is beginning to die out because the Holy Spirit has been grieved. So what I want to do with the time that we have left is to quickly just walk back through this text. Each of these five opposites, not this but that, and ask, why would this grieve the Holy Spirit? Just some helpful takeaways for us. So first, verse 25, why would falsehood, why would deception grieve the Holy Spirit? Because he's a spirit of truth. And any time we allow lies to give the devil the deceiver of foothold, the spirit grieves. Second, verse 26, why would anger grieve the Holy Spirit? Be angry, Paul says, but do not let the sun go down on your anger. I mean, it's a fascinating verse. We could do an entire series on this verse, especially in this present cultural moment. What do we do with anger? Paul says there's actually a kind of anger that is not sin. It's anger about the right things for the right reasons. There's a kind of anger that doesn't fester and consume us. It's interesting, and I'd never seen this before, but in this, in, in, in this particular verse, Paul uses two different words about anger. The first, be angry and do not sin, that's thumos anger. It's the Greek word thumos. It's a sudden, limited flare-up of anger, but then it quickly subsides. Earlier this week, I was trying to get the kids ready for, for you know, VBS, and one of our children, I'm not going to tell you who it is, but one of our kids just absolutely did not want to go to VBS on the third day of VBS. But Allie had to be here early because she's the VBS nurse, and I was actually assigned to teach that morning. And I will tell you, it's one thing to you know, teach in front of a sanctuary full of, of, of adults. It's, all, it's another thing altogether to be in front of 750 kids and I'm just nervous and sweating and anxious, and that is manifesting itself in, in various forms of anger, and I'm trying to get the kids in the car, and along the way, I've got an illustration to use in my little talk to the, to the kids. I've got a can of the nastiest little mealworms that you've ever seen, and I got a bag full of crickets, and I'm trying really hard not to spill the crickets and the worms in the car, and the kids won't want to get in, and just, it's, it's a giant mess. We're trying to get there in time, and there was a little Thumas anger brewing as we're getting into the car to go to VBS. And then in that moment, I kind of woke up and realized I'm the parent here. I'm the pastor here. And so I just need to grow up and, I, and the anger kind of dissipated. But then there's do not let the sun go down on your anger kind of anger. And that's orge anger. 
The Greek word orge, this is anger that feeds and festers and grows. It boils between the surface, and sometimes you don't see it at first, but it creates, over time, it creates distance and coldness in it, and it kills relationships. This is the kind of anger that grieves the spirit. The kind of hardened anger, resentment, unforgiveness, it it, it takes the wind out of our sails. It throws water onto the fire. This can happen in a person's heart. It can happen in families. It can happen in churches that are trapped in unforgiveness, this refusal to, to let go of old wounds. Do not grieve the Spirit by allowing anger and resentment to fester and destroy the unity of the body of Christ. This is what Paul's after in his letter to the Ephesians. It's about the unity of what God is building in and through Jesus Christ. Third, verse 28. What about stealing? Why would stealing grieve the Holy Spirit? I can think of another, a number of other things that I would have assumed Paul would have wanted to talk about. Why stealing? If I steal from my neighbor or even if I steal from an unknown person, maybe from a, if I steal from a company by lying on my expense reports, what am I doing? In a sense, what I'm saying is God can't be trusted to provide what I need. It's like, Sorry, God, I don't trust that you actually have my best interest in mind, that you're actually going to help me in the way that I need to be helped, and so I'm going to have to take matters into my own hands. That's what stealing does. And isn't that lack of trust in a relationship, in a marriage, or with your children, isn't that what breaks our heart more than anything else? Fourth, verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. How does that grieve the Spirit? The word Paul uses here is actually the same word Jesus once used to describe a a rancid, smelly fish. It's like rotten food. Why do rotten words grieve the spirit? Well, first of all, words like that tend to sting. And often this kind of language is directed toward hurting someone. But maybe more than that, it's, it's that our words, what comes out of our mouths, it reveals what resides in our heart. And because the Holy Spirit's dwelling place, The Holy Spirit's home is in your heart. The Spirit wants to do some cleaning up of all that is rotten and foul and corrupt within. Last one, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and slander be put away because the enemy is just having a field day when that stuff takes root inside of me and it leads to the undoing of that unity of the Spirit that Paul is inviting the Ephesians into. So, Here's what I want to leave you with, and then we'll pray. Today, this week, what would it look like for you and I to pay attention to the moving and, yes, even the grieving of the Holy Spirit, to to attune our ears, our minds and hearts to pay attention to his grieving? There will be moments in your life, maybe even today, when you willfully defy God and you're choosing something that you know is not God's best, you know that it's sin. And if you are a Jesus follower and the Holy Spirit resides in you, there's going to be a little twinge and you may sense, I I don't know how to put, I don't have the language for this other than to say, you're going to sense a little voice and it's going to seek to convict you and to help awaken and help you to come to your senses in that moment will you listen and will you pay attention and will you will you stop right where you are and repent
and just decide as best as you can and with God's help and by his grace, you are not going to grieve the Holy Spirit. So I want to pray for us. And I know we always pray at the end of the sermon, but I don't want this to just feel like filler or giving the music director a chance to get ready to you know, sing while our eyes are closed or to move on to the next thing too quickly here. I want to set up just a time for us to, to have a little time to wait and to be open to listen and to sense the presence and maybe, maybe even the grieving of the Spirit who loves us more than we could ever know. And I just believe that when we do this, when we make room for the Spirit of God to break through, He can do some work in some area of our lives, maybe in a place we've been struggling, maybe some place of willful disobedience, sin power patterns that are grieving the Holy Spirit. Remember, He's not leaving. He has promised to never leave us. If we trust in Jesus, we are His. We belong to Him. We are sealed in that promise. He is not leaving, but He may be grieving. And if we invite him to just come and clean some of this junk with his wind and to refine us with his fire, he can do things in us that we never thought possible. And I believe that can happen in someone's life today. I, I really do. It may be helpful for you if just a way of being open to receive, even if you just want to open up your hands right where you are and just receiving from God. So Jesus, we ask that you would come in the power of your Holy Spirit. You're already here. You have promised to dwell in those who trust you. Now we're just going to wait on the Spirit. He's here, and we're going to wait and just listen for him, even just for a few moments. Come, Holy Spirit. Help us to listen. As you continue to wait, maybe one of those images of wind blowing through the areas of our lives and just making us more ready to receive the new things God wants to do. Maybe it's His refining fire that melts away all the stuff in my life that I know I don't need. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here with us. You are powerful. You could do more than we could ever ask or imagine. And yet you are also tender, loving, loving enough to grieve because you do not want us to grieve. Would you heal us, we pray. Let your kindness be the thing that leads to repentance and to lead us closer to your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.